folks <laughs> hello and welcome to stuff we've seen this is your host james kent and with me barb to my star it's teal <laughs> i was hoping you were gonna do a whole little uh, all that jazz it's showtime folks it's showtime folks. i was gonna you know, set up a shower scene <laughs> yeah um, you, you need like the, the cigarette that's just the butt of the cigarette yeah, kind of all wet hanging from your lip popping pills eye drops yep popping pills yeah oh uh, that's so great joe gideon joe gideon joe the great gideon. joe gideon yep yeah uh, man i love that movie that's uh, great and it's funny i i haven't watched it in a while but i i have it on uh, criterion blu-ray and it was on criterion channel for a while yeah. and um you know i just I guess it's one of those things where I can't – I don't have any new converts in the family that I can get to, to watch it, and I've seen it so yeah. many times. I've seen it so many times. I've seen it in the theater several times. Several times in the theater? Yes. I've only seen it once in the theater. I think I've seen it three times in the theater. Yeah, that was actually what converted me into being such a massive fan is that uh, USC – my first year, it was in. They showed it in film class as part of uh, editing week. Oh, okay. And I just, I had saw, I'd seen it on you know video, and I was a little bit too young, and I just didn't appreciate it. And I didn't, I didn't think what it, all that jazz was about. Man, it wasn't all that jazz to me. I didn't get it all. Yeah, I, I first saw it when I was nine or ten, and I yeah, we you know we talked about that. We're too young at that point to see it, but then I saw it. Uh, I guess I was eighteen. And I remember at the end when, you know, he's going in that zooming, slow zoom shot into uh, yes. uh, the arms of um, Jessica Lang. I'm like, in my brain, it's talking to me. It's going, this this movie's a flat out masterpiece. <laughs> this is the greatest <laughs> movie. I love it. It is a, it is a flat out masterpiece. Yep. Uh, there's really not much. Uh, that said, I, I, I've talked to people, I've recommended it to people, and they're like, yeah, I just don't get it. I know. They hate the singing and dancing at the end, which I think is brilliant. Yeah, I <laughs> I like uh, I like every Fosse movie. I like every Fosse movie, too, though I will admit that I've maybe only seen parts of Sweet Charity, and, I'm okay. and I want to catch that. The next time it becomes available somewhere, but it's just not yeah. an easy find. Not an easy find. Yeah, I haven't seen that in years. And 
Star 80 is probably uh, my least favorite out of all of them. Yeah, out of the five. <laughs> yeah, out, of, out of the, if I had to rank them, Star 80 would be last in the line. Uh, yeah, if I had ranked them, I guess, well, I'll put Sweet Charity off to the side for a second, but I would put All That Jazz as number one, uh, Cabaret yeah. number two, Lenny number three, and then Star 80 number four. So I like Star 80 a lot more than many people do. I lo- oh, I don't dislike yeah. it. I was just, if I had to do a ranking. I've also, I've read the Fosse biography. Um, oh, yeah. And it's really creepy. Uh, he was so obsessed with Star 80 himself. He made um, Eric Roberts sleep in the house with him the night before they filmed the murder scene, which they filmed in the house. Oh, wow. That's That's just a level of creepiness. Yeah. It's creepy that he, that the murder scene takes place where the murder scene took place. That is really <laughs> creepy. Yeah. And uh, I didn't I you didn't, I didn't realize that. that. Yeah. Well, uh, that, no. that's what a good biography will give you all those juicy tidbits. Well, and they made a mini series out of that too, right? And you watched it? I did. I was reading the biography around the time of the mini series. Uh, so I had completed the biography before the mini series. I think I maybe seen the first episode when I just happened to be reading it because I knew probably because, uh, Verdon Fossey was coming on. And as far as a mini series go, yeah, I mean, sure, it didn't, it didn't capture everything. Uh, right. but it was pretty, pretty close to the book in many ways. And the book was, was really fascinating. I like, uh, an autobiography that goes heavy into the details of the early years that most biographies, when you see it on film or you see those like little, like, you know, hour long, you know, TV documentaries, they just kind of gloss over, but you really get a deep understanding of how Fosse became a dancer in the first place. Oh, that's interesting. And, you know, when you talk about those, like, uh, you know, the, the Malcolm Gladwell um, outliers, you know, the 10,000 hours, the 10, this hours, guy, yeah. he may have had 20,000 hours of dancing. I mean, this guy, he was just obsessed with dancing. Wow. The, and, that, yeah. Like, you know, the vaudeville okay. part and all that jazz? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's like a snippet, but based on his actual experiences. I mean, he worked at these little broady, body uh, vaudevillian strip shows and did dance numbers and uh, magic shows and stuff. <laughs> and he lost his virginity to the strippers there when he was way too young. Okay, and, and which is kind of in the movie. Kind of in the movie, but you got the sense that the biography was kind of spelling out that, like, I mean, he was kind of, uh, in many ways, he was um, kind of sexually abused. He was underage. And the way he grew up and the times he grew up in and the the lack of parenting he had and then being in this environment where he was too young, it kind of warped his whole uh, perception of women and identity and kind of his whole sexual conquest thing. And, uh, you know, it's fascinating because the guy was just, I mean, he was like a conqueror. Well, and that's what I find interesting about all that jazz is that he's pretty uh, forward about all of those. It, it's, he takes a pretty critical view of himself in that movie. Yes, that he's a flawed guy. Yeah, um, exactly. But then you also see some of his genius. And that was, again, I mean, the book yeah. and the miniseries, I don't know if it does as good a job. I mean, it was it, it did a really good job with the Verdon part. Right. Um, okay. Which is still in the book, too. I mean, so they had a fascinating relationship because they never actually divorced. Oh. And they remained sort of friends. And she okay. was with him when he died. They were entering a performance and he died on the street of a massive heart attack. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And they cover that exactly is, well in the miniseries. Yeah. Is uh is Patty Kayevsky a character? Absolutely. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah, you've got to see this miniseries. Yeah, I mean, I you know, Simon's it, yeah. a, a big character in it, and Patty Kayeski's big character in it. So you really got to, uh, okay. yeah, because Neil Simon and him were really good friends too, and then the wives yeah. were, and then Neil Simon's uh, first wife uh, got cancer and died. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's very fascinating. I didn't know that. Well, you got to watch the uh, documentary if you're not going to read the book. The book's like 800 pages, so it's an awesome book. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll probably skip the book, watch the documentary, skip, and maybe the miniseries. Skip the book. The book is amazing. Nice. I'm telling you, the book is amazing. It's a page turner. Okay, maybe. Okay. I mean, okay. I know. I maybe think it's like 700 pages. I mean, it's a big book, maybe but you're it talking is me into it's the book. such a good book. Um, I it, like. What's it called? Fosse, I think. Okay. Um, and then I also read the um, Mark Harris uh, biography on Mike Nichols. Oh, interesting. And Mike Nichols, A Life. And that that's like maybe like 400 pages. And yeah. that also was very fascinating because it really dives into his early years. And the comedy stuff? A lot of the comedy stuff. But just even before that, yeah. you always wonder like, okay, you know, you know, you know, Nichols may, but do you really You're understand right. how they met? How they got together, yeah. how they became a thing. And again, it's that convergence of the fact that, uh, they spent a lot of hours. Like the, before a Nichols in May, there was the years of crafting Nichols in May okay. and the hours and hours and hours and being obsessed with kind of doing this stuff. And then you do this and it either never goes anywhere or it becomes an overnight success is when it happened to become an overnight success. Which is what happened with them. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that is really interesting and it's interesting, I think up until his early films and then not as interesting in the last half of the book. Right. But he also okay. didn't have a lot of triumphs as far as uh, movies were concerned uh, after a no, first he, couple. He, he had some decent films in there. Uh, after yeah, but when you really go to couple. but when you really go into his filmography, he never really had a ton of like. I mean, you know, he hit with two major smashes right away. He goes yeah. with "Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf" and huge, yeah, huge hit, massive, like you know, taboo smashing. And he was such a big hit on Broadway for his directing of Neil Simon plays that oh, they were right. like, "Wow, that his genius carries forward into film." Uh, and then, you know, the graduate becomes this, you know, culture smash. Yeah. And so now you're thinking, well, where can he go? Well, he can only go, but down from there. And he does catch 22 and they have massive, massive problems on the set. He doesn't really have a, he just doesn't have like a real idea of like how to do it. And it's starting to fall apart and they have like tons and tons of extras and he's almost treating it like it's like a real location with like a real um, squadron of, you know, servicemen. And then, you know, he finally, after getting nowhere, they're like, you got to think about this as the book. It's a lot of it's metaphorical. You don't need an entire cast. You can focus in and – you know, he had that approach and I, I like it because I've actually rewatched some of Catch-22 in, in recent weeks and he does this thing with long takes Yes, that I think is really cool because it's so they're so well directed within the scene that you forget you're watching just one shot. So he really understood from all his years in theater how to how to make a camera work and, and actors right. and be able to actually um, do not just like one like signature like long take scene. The whole movie is filled with them. Oh, well, from an editing standpoint, though, it became a nightmare because once you shoot that way, 
<laughs> that's it. You're, this is what you've got. And if the scenes together, yeah. they may be cool as we look at them now, but it made for maybe not the most, like the it, the pacing of the moving, it wasn't right. really what, and it didn't really have the satire that I think people thought. Yeah, there's more satire in the second part of the film. Yeah, but they cut, they spent like, I guess they spent like a year cutting or, or more because they couldn't figure out how to cut this thing into something workable. I really like the film. I don't, I mean, I know it doesn't have the greatest reputation, but I, I think it's got a newer reputation though. I think it took like 30, 40 years, but people look at it as like a really good movie now. Okay. But, well, and I'll get to it. It's funny because none of this was stuff we were planning to talk about today. <laughs> I swear to God. Um, but this is all because you said it's showtime. I know. See, you're good at like totally throwing me off whatever game because I make some <laughs> stupid comment at the beginning. Uh, so one of the conventions that he did is that they figured out how to, um, cut from one scene and edit right into like another flashback or something like the way that they oh. edited these scenes is actually very, very cool. So it's a really, really smart uh, directed film. However, while they were toiling away and toiling away and toiling away, and it was realized that they're not going to get this out for 1969 and, uh, and it's going to be <laughs> 1970. And they thought we're going to have this massive hit Well, they saw a screening of a film called mash that was oh. just, had just come out before their movie could ever come out, which was, I think, scheduled for Christmas of 70. And okay. basically, one of the producers looked at Mike Nichols, and Mike Nichols looked at the producers after it, and they're like, yep, it's over, because they missed the boat. That's the satire. That was the satire right. that they kind of wished that they could have captured, something that could say something about the Vietnam War without it being the Vietnam yeah. War and the absurdity of war. And instead, it happened with MASH. And so- Okay. You know, and something similar happened, um, 86, late 86, early 87, late 86. So for most, most of the country, other than like qualifying for Oscars, Platoon comes out. Right. And it was yeah. mostly like January is when it got released massively. Uh, so January of 87 became, I mean, you, you remember huge. huge. It was, oh, everything was huge. a discussion about like, this is the movie that really, it was on the cover of every magazine. I remember I went, saw it with my father. Um, in Boston, because I was just, I had to see it. I kept begging him, yeah. right? And it was only an exclusive engagement at this uh, theater on like Boylston Street, the Paris, I think it was, or something. And it was sold out, right? Line down the block, it right. was night. But my dad got like, he had like a, a half day at work or something. He was like off early and he took me into Boston uh, so we could see an afternoon show of it. And it wasn't very busy because it was an afternoon show and, it, right. and I really liked it. But then it came out to the theater I was working at. Right. The suburbs, like about three, four right. weeks later. And I remember my friend and I went on an afternoon and I had a day off and sold out shows. So we're talking about 450 seats at this yeah. particular theater. And the impact of that movie with a crowd, like, you know, it was just dynamo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we talked about it where one day, one screening of Vietnam that came storming out of the movie. I don't even know what part. And he like, he like kicked over a trash barrel and he was going nuts and he just had a, he ran out the, the theater. Like this movie oh, wow. meant something yeah. to people and it had an impact. But five months later, the heavily anticipated <laughs> Stanley Kubrick full metal jacket comes out. Much different type of Vietnam Very movie. Very different type of film. Yeah. But it got completely overshadowed. I mean, I think people, again, look at it now differently because it's Kubrick and it takes time for Kubrick movies. But not then. Yeah. It, it got some praise, but it didn't do super big box office. 
yeah, people had gone nuts over Platoon and there just wasn't the energy for another Vietnam film. And I always, even at the time, liked Full Metal Jacket better. But I remember talking to a friend who was a Vietnam vet about the two films and he was like, Platoon just gets it. Like, he's like, no other film has come close to capturing just the sheer insanity of the whole thing. Yeah, well, it was told from the grunt's point of view. And yeah. it was told and written and directed by somebody who was a grunt. I mean, he knew what it yes. was like. And that's the thing is Kubrick wasn't at Vietnam. You know? No, and Kubrick's film is not really about Vietnam entirely. No, it's- but I mean, Michael Cimino, he wasn't in Vietnam. Right. Uh, yeah. Francis Ford Coppola. He wasn't in Vietnam. He used that bag. I mean, he was into into a heart of darkness, right? So he was telling a heart of darkness story, but used Vietnam as a backdrop. So I think that Oliver Stone was really the first legitimate filmmaker from Vietnam making a movie about Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. uh, I I don't want to jump all over the place, but there is a film that I recently saw um, that uses Vietnam, like a a Vietnam veteran, in a very strange Mm -hmm. way. Because it's hardly ever mentioned. Um, So instead, like the cloud of Vietnam hangs over this character. Have you ever seen Cutter's Way? Oh, a long, long time ago. (laughs) Cutter and Bone. Yes, I... I I saw it when I was working at the video store. I rem- yeah, and I think I saw it more than once. Actually, for some reason, people at the video store were kind of into that movie. It was kind of a cultish movie, and not like in cult film, like it was like a midnight staple or something. But right. I mean, it had a small cult of people who were like in the know on it, and then it kind of just disappeared over the years. And Criterion Channel has it on now as part of their new neo. Noir series they're doing. I guess that qualifies as a neo noir. Well, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, here's a little bit of a preview because um, I'm diving into these again. I've seen most of the films. They got 27 movies. Yeah. And of course, we've talked about noir and neo noir. Mm-hmm. And then we even had our own sort of subgenre called neon noir that we talked That's about. That's right. Neon noir. And this batch has like a whole mixture of some, some real neo noir type of films. But then they also have some films like Cutter's Way, which they're almost hard to describe. They, 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 I guess they're a neo-noir, but it's really light on the actual detective part of it. It's like a hangout movie in a weird way. It, it's a very weird-paced film, and it's got Jeff Bridges, right? And then it's yeah. got John Hurd and probably his best performance. Um, and John Hurd plays a Vietnam veteran who's lost an arm and lost an eye and has a limp. And you don't get into that, though. That's the whole thing is Vietnam is not the subject of the film. But it's like it, it obviously scarred this one character so bad that he's not a complete person anymore. And he's got a wife who hangs out and kind of like they have like sort of a like they're almost like just friends now. And they live in this house. And then Jeff Bridges is a very close buddy. And he may have a thing for the wife. And then Jeff is also this like – he kind of lives on a boat. They're like kind of in uh, yes, Santa Barbara. I remember that. Yeah. yeah, it's coming back to me now. And, he, uh, and he's always like with picking up different women and stuff. And he sees something that seems out of sorts. And then the next day discovers there was a woman murdered. And it potentially – potentially he saw the richest guy in town – potentially right. dumping the body and 
though he's not sure exactly what he's seen, but his friend is convinced. And then it's weird is that the daughter, the, the person who was murdered, her sister, yeah. comes on the scene and starts hanging out with all of them. And they, and then <laughs> this guy, uh, Cutter, the guy who was hurt in Vietnam, played by John Hurd, he wants to, um, make the guy pay. He's convinced, okay. though Jeff Bridges doesn't want to have anything to do with this. He's kind of like, I'm not sure, man. Right. But meanwhile, Cutter's going full on conspiracy theory, and he's got it all worked out in his head and is convinced that, that the richest guy in town murdered right. this woman. So they're going <laughs> to, um, they're going to blackmail him. Right. And then, oh, of course, that's the thing to do. Don't yeah. go to the police. Well, no, right? the police already like were trying and Jeff Bridges wouldn't go because I think it was this idea that when you're so rich and powerful, I think this is where the neo noir right. part comes in when you, whenever you're dealing with the rich and powerful, they're going to get away with murder kind of thing. Absolutely. Yes. And, and this guy and, is like in, beyond. In noir, yes. He's like a one percenter. This guy. He's right. such a big guy that you only see him kind of like in a distance. He's always wearing like these like super dark sunglasses. And, okay. Um, and it's like you can't get to this guy. Getting to him is also going to be hard. Um, right, right, right. I don't want to spoil all of the stuff, but. Who directed this? This guy. Oh, what was his name? Uh, Ivan, Ivan Passer. Passer. Yeah, he did a few things. It's kind of a weird. Uh, he died just last year. Um, oh. Yeah, let's see. What did he do that was looking at anything that anybody would know? Uh, nothing. Nothing Weird. I know. This movie on. in 90s, everyone got born to win. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this movie also was a bomb. Um, as a matter of fact, the studio was trying to dump it, but then some critics picked up on it. It kind of floated around in art theaters for a long time. Oh, interesting. Which I think is what yeah. led to its little bit of a cult. Um, but this uh, collection that the Criterion Channel is offering up, has some weird films that kind of skirt on neo-noir. Huh. They don't, to me, aren't full-on neo-noir. Like, for instance, uh, an Alan Rudolph movie, Trouble in Mind. That's neo-noir. I guess so, but yet the crime aspect of it is pretty thin. Because, again, these movies seem to be more interested in hangouts than they are in actual the crimes. Right. Maybe that's right. a so part of neo-noir to a degree, like – that they're less procedural oriented. Yeah, like Long Goodbye character. is also in this mix. Yeah, Long Goodbye is totally neo noir, and uh, yeah, the, that I think that the... I agree with. I agree with that. Yeah, Brick is in there. I actually want to rewatch Brick. I think that's actually a yeah. Really I good... haven't seen that in a very long time. Yeah, that's a good neo noir. I mean, I feel like that's a yeah. real classic neo noir. Um, and they've got a whole bunch of other ones. I mean, I watch one that I'm sorry, it's not a neo noir in my book, and it's called uh, Cotton Comes to Harlem. Have not seen it. Yeah, it's a black exploitation film, but I think it's way more a black exploitation movie than it is actually than a noir. noir. But it's in okay. there, and it's again, it's an interesting when Criterion forces you if you decide to take on these challenges, right? To like look at all of these, <laughs> and I think if you watch a good chunk of them, you're gonna if you didn't understand what neo noir was before, you'll have a better idea afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I watched uh, okay. with my son. We watched Body Heat, which I hadn't seen in like. Many oh, I years. haven't seen that in years. Yeah, that's a that is very neo noir. Yes, that is extremely neo noir. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's back when Lawrence Kasdan could actually make a movie. Well, he doesn't make him anymore. Well, I know, yeah. and there's a good reason for that. Yeah, what was the last one he made? Welcome to Mooseport, or I don't know what it was. It was one of those. Yeah, it was something, something like, like that. Yeah, or, or something, Jersey State, or something like that. I don't know. I did. I didn't see it. Yeah, <laughs> you like. 
I didn't see it. Whatever it was, I <laughs> whatever whatever it was, I didn't see it. I think he started failing. I saw that movie. I love you to death. I thought that was terrible. Yes, that was like a um, Grand Canyon. I liked at the time, though. I know a lot of people hated that, um, but I haven't seen it. A lot of people it. really hated it. Yeah, well, I never saw Grand. Canyon. I think Grand Canyon was the. Um, what was that? The movie that won over uh, Brokeback Mountain that you that crash. You, yeah, it was the crash of its time. It tried yes. to deal with like social politics in L.A. and it didn't do a great job of it. Um, you just recently watched uh, another one of his movies, though, right? Lawrence Cass. Be- oh, yeah, the big chill. Least- the big chill. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I got to get back to watching the whole thing. And I was saying, you know. It- I don't know if this is like another genre that we need to dive into, but like, uh, or a subject for a show was that I was saying, what are like, to me, 20 absolute perfect minutes of a movie at, for a start? And to me, the first 20 minutes of Big Chill is amazing. Okay. It is amazing from a script standpoint, and it's amazing from a direction standpoint, an editing standpoint, because you have a huge cast of characters. And the challenge for many filmmakers today is how do you introduce all of these characters in a non-confusing way that it makes Mm -hmm. sense? You give everybody enough nuggets and then draw people into this film. And right at the beginning of this movie, you start off on such a strong note because you've got um, the uh, Kevin Klein is giving his son a bath, a little, little kid. And they're singing a song, right, from that, that, that I remember as a kid, you know, um, which is, you know, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so it kind of clues you in that, you know, these were songs that were important to him when he was maybe, you know, like a younger whatever. Um, yeah. It, it actually plays a role in the movie later, but then the phone rings. And again, it's like, you know, pretty innocuous. You don't know what the hell's going on. And right. Glenn Close answers. So now she realizes the relationship between him and Glenn Close because she's there. It must be, you know, their parents of this little boy. And then she picks up the phone and then she's like shocked. And she kind of just almost like drops the phone and she looks over at Kevin Klein. And then immediately you cut into Heard It Through the Grapevine. But that's where you then, I mean, think about the song. I heard it through the grapevine. So now you have this intercut between all the characters that are going to be in the movie kind of either, you know, kind of getting word, getting, uh, or they've just heard and you're seeing the reaction, uh, or they're now getting prepared because they're going to have to go to this funeral because in between you see someone's body being prepared. Prepared. Um, you don't quite know all the things until you see like there there was a wrist slash. Um, but it's edited in such a way that without all these dialogue scenes, you get a complete picture in your head of what has happened. And then you lead up into them all kind of gathering together and friends. You're also introduced to Tom Berenger's character, who is some kind of TV show celebrity. Who's a friend of theirs, right. but they do that in a very quick, little, clever way. Um, you know, you get uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum. He's a writer for like uh, Rolling Stone or something, and you right. get a, a quick introduction of who he is. You understand that uh, another person's like a lawyer, but you get all of this information um, very fast, all through the way that the story is told. In these first 20 minutes, you go into this funeral. You get to see a dynamic at play there. And then you get into uh, Joe Beth Williams has to play the person who's died who you never see. And it's great right. because Lawrence Kasdan actually shot a flashback scene with Kevin Costner plays the guy. Yes. And he cut that out. And I think it's the smartest thing ever because 
you are left when you watch all the conversations about this guy. You have to wonder who he is, and if you show him, if you showed him, it takes it the takes the mystery away. exactly because yeah. then maybe he doesn't live up to the expectations, and that's a lot of it is these people don't live up to their own expectations, right? Of what they were back in college, and that was this guy. He didn't quite yeah. make himself, and all these other people made something that they think uh, has succeeded. So that's something that they probably really found in editing. Uh, perhaps because when Joe yeah. Williams then plays his favorite song, you can't always get what you want. Yeah. Um, which again also has, you know, connotation, which is beautifully done. Yeah. But and has connotation. When yeah. you see, this is the dynamic of filmmaking that I, when I get, it'd be very excited when it goes from her playing the organ to then the Rolling Stone song itself. Yes. There's a way that they've edited that show them carrying the casket and putting it into the back of the limousine and everything is timed and the lights of all the cars going on. It creates such a mood and an atmosphere that now yeah. after these 20 minutes, which is where I stop, it's like actually about 20, 21 minutes, you are ready for the rest of this film. Yeah, so that what's interesting is as you're describing, I haven't, I haven't seen the film in 25 years probably, maybe 30 uh, but as you're describing it, I can picture shots. Uh, it's, it's really vivid. My memory of it is ex very vivid. And I can picture what each of the characters looks like. And so something about this movie sticks. Yeah. Now, I don't know if the rest of the movie holds up to the first 20 minutes. It gets talky. And, you know, I, again, it's kind of fun now because these are people all in like their mid 30s. Yeah. But you look at them. And I think my wife was watching a couple of minutes of it with me the other day. And it is it's shocking to see people who kind of look and act older than the 50 year old me today. Right. Because back then you were in your thirties, man. You were like, that was it. You, you were. Yeah. So it is also, I think it's, it's, uh, reputation has been, been dinged a little bit just because it's a boomer movie. Is, is that really? It has. Boomer. I, I told you before, I think we've, we talked about this big show one I, before. I'd I, love to see a sequel. Like some character of them dies oh, and yeah. they all have to come back together. And I'd like to see like what happened over the last 40 years. That would be interesting. I think Somebody should be. do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, I guess Kasdan would have to really write it. He would. His son yes. could direct it if he wanted to. His son's done one good movie. Which one was that? Orange County. Okay. Well, again, I'm still searching for the one good movie. <laughs> it wasn't that, it was not that good a movie. I mean, he's done it a lot of It was not that good. Stuff, I, I watched maybe. it. I watched it once and I got a couple chuckles out of it, yeah. but I wouldn't call it. Uh, I, 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 do, I have no need to watch it again. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, and I don't know what else he's made. So we were talking about the neo noir, and I can actually finally tie it into one of the new movies that I've actually seen. Yeah, um, Steven Soderbergh is back. Oh yes, yeah. remember you, when you crank out like five movies yet. a year, and you'd have to yes. just like, oh, Soderbergh, he made five things, and then he kind of said I was retired. He was retired for like two months, and then he just continued making stuff. Well, he retired, and then he did TV for a little while. Yeah, but he made some really good TV. The Nick is is amazing. But he did his retirement from film led to television, and I guess now he's retired from television and doing film. It's just insane that he even thought he was going to retire. I mean, <laughs> I, I think some of them need to say they're retired in order to get their brain working again. Okay, maybe yeah, like I, that's just, like the only thing I can think of, right? I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can. Yeah, I just don't. I, I just don't get through. And Tarantino keeps talking about how, he, how he's going to retire. Well, you know, I was. I. It's funny. We're going to talk about this now, too. We'll get back to Soderbergh. 
<laughs> yeah, he's been in the he's been in the news a lot lately because he's been like shooting his mouth off at various podcasts and whatnot. Because he's got a book to you know he's promoting his book. Uh, he's promoting his once, once upon a time in Hollywood. Which, book, by the way, yeah. I got that book. Oh, you did? Yeah, I'm reading it. I mean, how like Tarantino can get a little excessive about things, and he needs to be scaled back. Well, imagine if you will, the book is the excessive part of the movie, where he just goes, oh. you know. So I don't know. I mean, it's supposed to be pulpy. The way it's written and right. everything, and uh, but it also that style is making it a little hard for me to get through it. Yeah, it's an interesting thing that he decided to do that because it's not something he's ever done before. I, I'm, I guess I'm not looking forward to seeing like you know Django Unchained the book. <laughs> like I hope right. he does. <laughs> you know, maybe he comes up with some fresh stories. But I think this is my whole thing with him is that look, it's not always easy to come up with ideas for stories. Yeah. And it takes him a while. He's not like a guy who's got like a million stories, I don't think. He only wants to do the things that he's written. So I think it's scary for him that if he doesn't say, I'm going to stop at some point, people are going to just want to keep on you know, having him make stories forever. And that maybe if if he, he says 10, now it's like, well, great. It may take me 15 years to get to that 10th one. Or maybe he'll finally get an idea and, and he'll do it. And then afterwards, he's retired until suddenly he gets another idea again. Exactly. And he'll come up with, well, I was, man, but you know what is Kill Bill was really one movie, so I have another movie in me. Like, he can make up whatever excuses he wants. Um, <laughs> but he's – Well, know. yeah, and it, but really it comes down to if he has another movie in him. and Yeah, maybe not. He probably does. But I, he's also said, like, I don't want to make old – man. I don't want to be an old man making old well, man movies. Well, he said that again. He says that, you know, he's got, like, the evidence that really proves that – by and large, most filmmakers after a certain age, after 60 or whatever, that they go way downhill. And yeah. and then if they had just stopped with their last best movie instead of continuing, <laughs> and he said some of these directors don't have another good movie after that. And he says that's a shame. And, uh, I, you know, the thing is, though, right, Scorsese is the exception to that rule. He's made some amazing yeah. movies in the last, you know, 15, 20 years. And had some ups and downs earlier in his career, too. Scorsese did. And... Uh, I think that's, you know, Tarantino is just so protective of his legacy and his filmography. And he doesn't want, he doesn't want a single bad movie on there. Well, yeah. I mean, again, well, you know, I've seen more recently than you have uh, the, um, the, the car chase movie there. Death Death Proof. Proof? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's terrible. It's not a good, it's a fun genre thing, but it feels more like an exercise. It's got some great action in it. Um, but it's also very gratuitous. Um, yes. He takes like two separate stories and tries to cling them together. And it kind of has the worst of Tarantino dialogue. Yes. And then it has some good stuff too. I mean, again, that's the problem is like he, it's, it's his bad movie with those few great scenes, which is, I think what his purpose was with the Grindhouse movie is the idea is that, ah, terrible movie, but you know what? There's these parts in it that are really good. Yeah, so he emulated it a little too closely, in my opinion. Yeah. Because it is not enjoyable to watch. Uh, well, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I mean, I enjoyed okay. it, but... I, I was bored crazy uh, by you it. Know, what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> but uh, but what I, I guess what I'm saying is that, uh, you know, he, he... Like, Scorsese doesn't write every movie. Right, And, yeah. you know, and stuff. So maybe that's a different thing where he, you know, again, got these movies, but... He's more in like the uh, Wes Anderson category. Yeah, but Wes Anderson's not like, I'm going to retire. Like he's got a movie coming out right. and he's got another movie he's working on that it seems like Wes Anderson takes a few years, but we, his movie was supposed to come out last year and it didn't. 
Right. So he's got another one that he's working on. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see. I guess, we'll, you know, if we're, if we're still kicking around doing our show by the time he gets around <laughs> to filming something, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it. But I, but I am reading the new Once Upon a Time in Hollywood book. Uh, you know, I've got, got a ways to go, but that's kind of interesting. But anyways, S- Soderbergh, the, the reason why I'm mentioning, he's got this movie <laughs> called, uh, uh, No Sudden Move. No, not sudden a good move. title. Not a good, t- not a good title. So that's a neo noir. Right. It's set in the fifties. Um, which I think is interesting. Oh, it is. I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, okay. set in the 50s and set in Detroit. That's a good backdrop and it's thematically yeah. tied to the movie. Um, I thought the first half of this movie I thought was real gangbusters. Second half gets a little bit complicated. Okay, not in a, not in a good way. Well, there's a lot of pl- – suddenly a lot of plot goes in. It's, it's kind of it, – it's really intense in the first half and – kind of very singular focused and then second half it kind of expands and there's a lot of like plot twists and things that come out and i enjoyed it still it was just kind of fun to watch something that you don't get all the time um but it's messy i think and i don't so is it messy on a script level messy on a script level yeah yeah um still i i liked it uh but like i said i think that sometimes you get the green light before you got the green light where you finish your script. Um, another thing, and it's funny, I've read a lot of uh, like little user reviews that people didn't like it. I mean, today's film watchers, they're very uneducated. Yeah, and there's a big issue with them attaching to like a single logic problem in the movie and tossing the whole thing out because of it. Or they don't like a convention that someone's using and they, they equate it to somehow bad like – it's like amateurish cinematography or something. And of course the film is lensed as all films of Steven Soderbergh are lensed by the great Peter Andrews, Peter Andrews, which is also Steven Soderbergh. <laughs> he shoots his own films. He edits them too. I think he has an editing uh, uh, yes. title too, uh, for some other name. And what he chooses to do in this film, the entire film is shot with a wide angle semi fish lens it's not a it's not <clears throat> it's not a fish like complete circle right but it's probably i'm trying to think of like on a it's f- wide enough to get some distortion around the edges not just a little distortion like a lot of distortion so when you're looking straight on at the character so it's shot like two three five right right and when you're looking straight on at the people it's a nice wide frame but as soon as you go like but you look at the edges and everything's distorted a little bit and there's a lot of panning so that panning creates these weird distortions interesting and that's uh reminds me of Yorgos Lanthimos Yorgos Lanthimos does a completely different thing first of all it's shot on okay. film with film lenses this is digital well, yeah but just in terms of the wide angle uh he does like that wide angle lens particularly in like killing of the sacred deer yes but if you watch the two movies you'll see that i would think that Soderbergh's lens is longer is wider Okay. Oh, it's wider. It's wider because oh, wow. it's really distorted with the with the turns, and it's bothering people because you know, oh my God, he dares to do something different than the thousand other people. Right. When everybody else shoots a movie in the fifties, you get that ridiculous thing where the cars just look too shiny, and everything has right. this certain <laughs> patina to it, and the lighting and everything looks like oh, it's the way that they film films today for fifties. Right. But for whatever the reason, and he continues it. Like the the thing is, when you're going to do this kind of cinematography. You can't cut away. You can't suddenly like do some shots the other way. No, the entire movie. You've got to commit to it. He commits to it. 
But to me, it creates an interesting effect where this 50s film feels a little bit more lived in, a little bit more dirty, not as sharp, not as crisp. And I think that's very interesting to see a film set in the 50s that looks like this now and not the way the movies have been lately when you shoot a period film. Like if you watched the last season of Fargo, which I've never gotten through the whole thing, that's also set in the 50s. And it it just looks like a movie or a TV show that's shot today, really nicely shot, but it's a period piece. It's a period piece and it has all the period piece trappings where it's it, it's a little bit uh, like the high tourism, low tourism thing. There's like high period piece and low period piece. And it seems like Soderbergh is doing low period piece. Yeah. I think it's successful in that regard. I think the style is interesting to me and it fits neatly in this neo-noir genre that I've been diving into and I've been kind of going because uh, I'm kind of doing a deeper dive. I don't know. You're for Again, for the audience there, this could be your last time for several weeks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is my last time for several weeks. You're I'm- getting ready to move and you're moving, you know, several states away. And so you got to pack up and, you know, you're just physically not going to have the stuff. So exactly. I'm not going to have my, my setup set up. Yeah. So I have some other guests on tap. Um, that I'm working on. And, uh, I think Bill from Queen is going to come in and I think we're going to, we're going to dive deeper into this neo-noir. Um, so as part of that, I've been kind of, you know, not just going into the criterion, what they're giving me, but like I watched Angel Heart again. My son, he watched it with me and he made a very interesting observation. Again, I think it's fascinating when you have the younger generation. Yeah. But, but he's getting, he's getting into his filmography. He saw not too long ago Shutter Island. It disturbed him, but he liked he 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 liked right. He liked it way more than I ever did. I didn't watch it a second time, but he did. Uh, he watched it, I think, with my uh, wife. But a few weeks later, he watches Angel Heart, and at the end of the Angel Heart, he said, "You know, there's a lot of similarities I see between this character and his resolution and what happens in Shutter Island." Interesting. And I thought, well, you know, you're right. You're you're right. Definitely a good observation. Yeah, that is great observation. Yeah. <laughs> So anyways, again, when I dive into this neo-noir, hopefully in a few weeks with Bill, um, you know, we'll be talking about things like Cutter's Way and uh, whatever else I get into. I mean, my goal is to try to see any of the films on that list that I've never seen before. So what uh, what are we doing on today's show? <laughs> how long, how long? Oh, oh, 43 what? minutes in. Well, we're going to be saying goodbye. <laughs> no. Um, oh, we're going to say goodbye soon. Okay. Well, we just talked about one you haven't seen is the No Sudden Moves. Um, yeah. Steven Soderbergh. So, I, yes. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm kind of curious. Oh. I haven't talked to you. Because uh, like last episode, we had uh, Ian Judge from the Somerville Theater on. So, we didn't really get into yeah. new films and stuff. And I, I know you've been busy and all, but you must have seen some films or have you not? I saw I saw a, new, I saw a couple of new films. Oh, yeah? You've gone out to the theaters, have you? No. No, but I saw a couple of new films. Okay, well, what what what, what films have you seen? Uh, I saw Luca. Oh, right, that Disney thing. Yeah, my my youngest kind of wants to see that. My uh, youngest liked it quite a bit. Okay, uh, it's, I think it's a good kids movie, but there's something uh, I don't know what it is, but Pixar has lost some charm for me. Toy Story, I even as an adult loved and i was uh i was charmed by them and there was something a little bit magical and fun and there was some wonder and joy in them and this movie has all of that but it kind of fell flat for me well i think the difference is is that uh 
for many, many years before I had any kids, I as an adult would actively be like, oh, it's a Pixar movie coming out and I would go see it, Yeah, you know, and I was excited to go see it. So uh, now it's like, oh, yeah, Luca. Oh, yeah, I forgot that was out. Like, I don't even need to see it. Like, before, it would be like, I I can't miss a Pixar film. I've missed several now. I didn't see Onward. I didn't see the dinosaur one. The dinosaur one was one of their worst. Okay. It was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, Did not see it. Onward, I liked. I actually kind of liked Onward better than the, than the one that won all the awards there at the end of the year. The movie, Which one the movie was that? The movie about jazz there. Oh, Soul. I didn't Soul. see that either. You didn't? Yeah. You got to see it. Now, the- the family watched it without me. Oh, it got passed over. Yeah, it got passed over somehow. Now, I guess, I don't know if it's, is it Pixar or not? I don't know. But on Disney Plus, they've just came out with this new series on Monsters, Inc. Monsters yes. at Work. Saw the first two episodes. It was great. Okay, yeah. I Loved check it. That out. It's got new characters, but it also has some of the old characters. And it's it's just totally awesome. I want to see it. Matter of fact, the story for Monsters at Work is so much better than when they did Monsters University that it's amazing that they did. This is the this is kind of the sequel story that they should have done. Right. That they should have done. Yeah. Monsters University is not great. Yeah. This actually takes place. It the setup. I mean, it's not really giving anything away. Is it actually takes place only weeks after the first movie, and it's oh. it's the troubles of trying to convert from a scare business to a to a laugh business and uh you know uh mike and uh and sully are the uh kind of like the new heads of this monsters inc and you got this new guy who had just come out of uh monsters university and he's the like the new scare captain kind of guy the greatest scare mm-hmm. ever and he shows up to work and now they like doing comedy and he's like he gets ended up he gets up <laughs> kind of like put into facilities and uh and henry winkler plays one of the guys in facilities and uh oh it's great Okay, that sounds it's fun. It's really fun. I also saw Raya and the Last Dragon. Now, is that Pixar or Disney? I think it's Disney. Okay, I know Pixar is owned by Disney, but is it the Pixar brand or is it the Disney no, brand? No, I, it, I think it's the Disney brand. And that's now available. You don't have to pay the $30 charge you don't have for to that. Pay you can just watch yeah, it. Yeah, you can, you can go and watch it. You just have to want to watch it. Well, and I know, and you have a daughter, and she wanted to watch it. And- I've been watching, yeah, I've been watching some kid and family type movies because that's what. Anyhow, Ray and the Last Dragon, also not a huge fan. Yeah. Oh, so I don't have to see that one. Well, you know, it's fine. It's there's nothing horribly wrong with it. Uh, my issue is that the story is about her getting these dragons back together to, I don't know, find the stone gem. I mean, do we need another dragon? We already have Hollow Train Your Dragon, and there was a whole TV series on the dragon. There's so much dragoning going on. There's so much dragons going on. So basically, she has to get these dragons together, and so it ends up being a little bit uh, episodic. It's like, okay, we got that dragon. Let's do the next dragon. Let's do the next dragon. And so there's not really a a long line storyline that it – it just doesn't have a lot of plot. It's kind of episodic, one dragon after another. And again, the kids liked it, and that uh, was fun and great, but uh, not something I necessarily would have run out to see hmm. on my own. Um, so, you know, I recommend that for the family, but sounds great. Uh, I don't think you need to run out and see it. Uh, <laughs> no pass. And I know my oldest yeah. is never going to touch it, and my youngest, well, if he really wants to watch it, I'll sit him down and watch it, you know. 
let's see. I saw another movie that I didn't tell you about because I was embarrassed that I watched it. Okay. <laughs> yes. And maybe you saw it or maybe you were smart enough to just avoid it. But Can I make a guess on it? It's this terrible movie with Marky Mark Wahlberg. No. Infinite. Oh, Infinite. Antoine yes, I Fuqua directed it. Yes, I, I do want to see that. This movie yeah. has been like, I guess, kicking around the dustbin shelf for forever. And it finally got released. It's terrible. But I kind of wanted to see it because uh, the concept looks kind of fun. And, uh, and, and I have liked Antoine Fuqua on a couple of occasions. Even his uh, Magnificent Seven, I thought was pretty Didn't decent. Didn't see it. I think I saw something even worse and more embarrassing than that. Okay. The Tomorrow War. That's that's exactly in line, right? It's that Chris Pratt crap, right? It's that Chris Pratt crap. Yeah, Ooh. it's very similar to Infinite, I think, where yeah. it's it, it had sat on the shelf for a while, uh, and then Amazon bought it for like $200 million. Yeah, and they're going to make a sequel. I can't wait. <laughs> it didn't even look like the <laughs> effects were very good from the trailer. I was like, all right, I'll watch uh, the trailer. The effects are not very good. The The concept is just in, incredibly stupid. Like, you have to, uh, e even just to entertain the possibility. They got to take people of, from the past to fight the future or something dumb like that. It's, it's even dumber than that. But, I mean, t t trying to wrap your head around the logic in the movie is a fool's errand. You have to check your brain at the door when you go into this. Uh, but what's interesting about it is that the movie. Uh, is kind of corny and sentimental at times. Okay. And tries to, this, this whole father-daughter relationship thing. Hmm. Because um, he goes into the future and then his daughter is a grown-up and the, they bond. And uh, <laughs> But what's amazing about it is that uh, these scenes, these father-daughter scenes, they're supposed to be kind of emotional and gripping. And Chris Pratt just can't do it. <laughs> He just, he just has that goofy Chris Pratt. He's fine at the, at the action scene stuff. He's fine at the goofy one-liners and stuff. He's fine at being silly. But if he's required to do anything with real emotion, he just can't do it. And this movie, you know, I mean, even in the context of it, it's not a serious drama. Uh, but even, even then, the like, pulpy scenes that required some sincere emotion he just he can't pull it off and i mean the movie fails on so many levels um <laughs> uh, the ending of this movie i'm gonna give it away oh i could care less i'm never gonna see this yeah you're never gonna see it so they have to go to the future and fight the aliens right i kind of wish you had seen this because it's just so bad at the end and <laughs> well, that's another thing too. They show the aliens in the trailer, and it's another yeah. one of those like CGI monsters with a bunch of teeth. Yes, of course, they all that. look the same. These these have fur, I guess that makes them a little different. But yeah, they're just typical CGI monsters. Um, and so they he goes into the future to fight them, and then so they come back to the present. They have a and he finds like a claw from one of the creatures. Okay. And they analyze it, and it has some volcanic dust on it. So okay. they, they're like, well, what are we going to do? We need an expert on volcanoes. So they go back to his grade school class, and there's a kid who's obsessed with volcanoes who solves this for them. Wait, wait, they go back in time to the grade school class? They're, they're all, No, no, no. They just go to the – they're already – Back in time, oh, but they okay. go to the 
they go to one of his students who's like 12. Oh, okay. Rather than a volcanic expert. Right. They're, they go to this kid who's a volcano expert. Now, I guess society is kind of breaking down and stuff. So I don't know. But anyhow, they go to a volcano expert and they're like, wow, it came from Siberia. Let's go to Siberia. And so they they go to Siberia and wander around some glaciers and end up finding the original alien ship. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they blow it up. And so then the war doesn't actually happen. Uh-huh. Oh, I thought it was going to be like a twist where like they actually set off the events because of doing this. That's what I that's what I was thinking too, but no, they didn't set off the events. They mm. just I, I was thinking the whole time that his daughter was responsible oh, for God. the creatures. But there's a sequel uh, coming, so I don't know what happens. I don't know. They blew up all the creatures, so I don't know how but this movie was so dumb that it doesn't matter what they do for the sequel. It, it's they're just going to have like Chris Pratt shooting some aliens, I guess. That sounds pretty bad. Yeah, so don't watch that movie. Okay. Now, is that um, it? There's one more that I know you have seen, which oh. I feel like we're obligated to talk Should about. Should I talk about it first, then? Should I mention the Why fact you- that I went to the movies? I went you to went the to the theater to see it, yeah. I you recently, last week, Friday, I guess, I took my boys. We went an hour and 40 minutes away to Saratoga Springs, New York, and we went to the movie theater. And because we had to go such a distance, I timed it so that we could see two movies. Because it's really, you know, at that point. Now, again, before we can even tell you what the movies are, I want to talk about <laughs> the fact that my movie days are going to be slim. Because not only had to go all this Your way. Your theater. It's so expensive to go to the movies. Because we're going so far away, I had to make sure that we got tickets. So I bought them online. Right. That there's service fees. And because they and, – and and so I bought for two movies. And the first one was going to be in their super like deluxe, awesome, you know, right. mega screen theater, which of course they charge more for. Of and course. even though I'm in the daytime, so I'm paying daytime prices, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> so I'm essentially six admissions, three for the first movie and three for the second, me and my two sons. Yeah. With the fees – both films, and again, one was more in a deluxe, so it was a couple dollars more, but the entire right. bill was like 73 or $4. For two movies, and then you still have to drive. The driving, and, and then, you know, we had to get something in between because I had to, because, you know, the kids. Sure. So we got, uh, we each got, we were parched, right? So I got, a, I got a medium drink. My oldest got a medium drink. My youngest got a small drink. And they each got a bag of Swedish fish. Those. And that was $85. <laughs> it was $25. <laughs> but so basically, I'm in for a hundred dollars for two movies, yeah. and mind you, these that you were not don't even, even really want to see. No, but it was just the idea that we could get back into the theater. They were <laughs> bored. It's been a really cold, wet summer, um, so yeah. they haven't even been able to go in the pool very much. And you know, it's like let's just do it. We haven't been to the theater. Uh, we figured out that the littlest one, the last time he saw a film in the theater, was the last Star Wars movie. Okay, yeah, that makes yep. sense. And the last film yeah. my oldest saw, he and I went opening night to see 1917. That was okay. It. So yeah. that was it. So that that was December 2019. Well, that was for the Star Wars movie, but then uh, 1917 didn't come out till January here. Oh, okay. So we went and okay. saw that in January. Uh, yeah. That was it. Um, so you know, it was like kind of like let's just make a whole day of it, whatever the cost. It's right. like just deal with it. But you know, 
the second movie wasn't in their big deluxe theater, and the screen wasn't that great. It had sort of like this weird, like, kind of shiny gloss on the screen. So when the lights hit it, it's probably for brightness or something. It kind of just doesn't look like a real movie screen. It was annoying. Um, wow. You know, I mean, I got to critique the experience, right, when I'm paying this much money. Yes, so, absolutely. So the two films we saw is the first, and it was in the big super deluxe theater, was the new Marvel entry, Black Widow. And then the yes. second was F9, which I okay. think after this movie, they're going to switch to letters, and the next one's going to be called FU. Because <laughs> 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 this movie was like a big middle finger to anybody who paid money to see it, because it's clearly they have no ideas left. And <laughs> and it was really bad. And the only thing that was fun about the movie is that uh, my oldest sat in the middle, and he and I looked over each other maybe about a, a hundred times during the film. Like, can you believe this crap? And <laughs> and any time that they did anything that was so stupid, we just looked over each other and said, they're doing it for family. Because <laughs> that's been the big yeah, meme. That's been the big memes going yeah. around. We said, yeah. and then even my littlest was getting in there. We'd all go, doing it for family. <laughs> were there other people in the theater it was for the for that movie which was the second film and it's been out for a few weeks yeah. it was maybe about five other people okay black widow So you didn't get that big crowd response no. that you usually get with those but, but this fast was and furious but movies. i've you know my here full disclosure this is the first fast and the furious movie i've seen in the theater since the very first one i have not seen any of them in the theater so this is the first one um, since the very first one, when it, when it was just one movie, um, I've seen most of them on some form of cable or, you know. I, I actually binged several of them a few years ago. I, I was like, I'm going to do franchise binges and I want, and, and I actually gave up on that one. I didn't. And so I think I'm not sure what the last one I saw was. I, there's this scene where, uh, I love this scene because <laughs> it's so incredibly stupid where, uh, Vin Diesel, they're on a bridge. Who's the actress? Is it Michelle Rodriguez? Probably. She's in yeah. it. She's in it. So it's the two of them and they're like going opposite ways on this bridge and like her car is going to, I don't know. They're going to go off the cliff or something. Anyhow, he like crashes his car in such a way that launches him into the air. And he grabs her out of the air and they land safely. Uh, and it, it was just such an insanely stupid stunt and not even a stunt. It's just, it's, it's, it's there's no stunts going on there. It's just CGI. That is part of the staple and appeal of these movies. The fact that the things that happen in there is just so ridiculous that could never yeah, happen. Like it, 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 it totally it, defies physics. But this one, I really feel like they've, they, I mean, the story, like it, we were like just saying to each other, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I had to bag on the last one because I thought it was so terrible. So some yeah. of the plot is like left over from characters and things from that one. And, I can't remember these – like, it just – at some point, you're just like, I don't even know. It's weird going into a movie that you're like, I don't know any of these people. What are they doing? What, none of it makes sense. It doesn't <laughs> seem to matter. It doesn't seem to matter to them. How are they getting from place to place? Like, there's some there's some hidden stockpile of cash, and then there are, like, these gadgets and things that, like, who's building them? And they go after MacGuffins <laughs> that, like, make MacGuffins laugh. Like, there's, like, always some kind of data and plan to take over the world, and there's some kind of geodesic 
basic dome that like is in two halves <laughs> and that when snapped together, it suddenly, when it's, you know, dealing with a satellite in outer space, it's going to give somebody complete control over something. Right? <laughs> That's what they're going after. And then when the two halves are grabbed, oh, and then it only works with the secret key was the DNA of somebody that like tied into a franchise from several <laughs> films ago. <laughs> they got her. So, oh no, that means that when it all uploads to the link up in the satellite in space, we're all doomed. So you know what? There's only one way to stop them. We've got to get a car, have a rocket on it, and fly it out into outer space and stop the satellite. And so- Wait, are you- I'm totally serious. They actually put a car into space. Well, not just any car, a Pontiac Fiero with the super rockets attached, which is set up earlier in the movie with these two guys that somehow don't know Vin Diesel, but Vin Diesel knows them, is doing test runs with a Pontiac Fiero and these rockets, which, uh, by the way, are not successful, but somehow that's okay. We're sure it'll be successful to fly into outer space. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Tyrese and Ludacris are these two characters, and they're like the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of the uh, Fast and Furious universe, where they kind of comment on on how stupid and ridiculous. And at some point in this film, they realize, or one of them, Tyrese, who's always coming up with, he's all like conspiracy and and, and, and big picture thinking, and the other guy right. is all science and numbers, you see, but together they make a great, perfect combination. And he figures out that, don't you see... We go through all these insane adventures and nothing happens to us. We never get injured and yet we should be pulverized. So he actually comments on the fact that somehow there's like a magical thing happening where right. no matter what happens, they cannot be injured. He even points out, he's like, look, I got these bullet holes all over my jacket, but I am not injured. How is that possible? I don't know. So, <laughs> so they're just making fun of it. So he real he so he theorizes they can be okay going even though they probably should be killed instantly in this rocket car that they're going to be okay because somehow nothing can harm them. And wow. And when they basically cannot whatever the they're supposed to do the satellite, they cannot complete the mission and time is running out, they then theorize that they can use they got the special NOS um, canister inside the car uh -huh. to give them extra fuel that they can propel themselves right into the satellite and destroy it, but that they'll be fine. And the other one's like, well, we're, he's like, well, we'll have to just go out and blaze a girly. And he's like, well, no, we're going to be fine because nothing ever happens to us. So they smash the satellite, <laughs> save the day. And of course they're fine. And guess what? They're not going to have enough fuel to go back to earth, but that's okay because there's a space station up there. And then they basically get saved by the people in the space station. <laughs> that uh, this almost makes me want to see it. I got, I've got to see the rocket car. This is and and they're they're just making fun of their plot armor. That's hilarious. That's right. And so like this is and then the rest. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, I just don't think when it comes to the series, they have anywhere else to go. Like it's. Yeah, I mean, no, they're, they're all pick, they're all doing their best, right? They're picking up the paycheck, and I think that's Vin Diesel's secret is is that he's like, hey man. I'm going to get – I'm set up for the rest of my life. Every time I make one of these, I get more money in the bank. My job as an actor is to give it all and no matter how cheesy and ridiculous and stupid all of this is, I will sell it as best I can. And does he sell it? I guess. <laughs> and, but you know why? You know why he sells it? He sells it for family. <laughs> okay. I think that's all we need. That, that concludes our discussion of F9. It is the worst. So that was the second movie, right? And then first we had to go through yeah. Black Widow, right? Now, on the one hand, it's great 
I think Marvel is a great, um, I guess, franchise for people to get back in the theater to like go, oh, yeah, yeah. man, you know, because before yeah. the pandemic, there were Marvel movies. Then the pandemic happened, yeah. there weren't Marvel movies. And now there's Marvel movies just as, you know, pandemic still raging in other areas because for some ungodly reason, and maybe it's because of Tyrese thinking that nothing can harm us. <laughs> it's that same thinking that people are like, Delta variant ain't coming for me. I don't need no ain't vaccine. There, uh, I'll be fine. I'm proud that I'm not getting that vaccine. I, 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 logically, that makes, that's like a worse plot hole than anything in F9, right? (laughs) People, but, you know, um, so anyways, those people are out there watching movies, uh, mixed in with people who got vaccinated. It's a real scary combination. And yet I went to the theater. uh, It was not super packed, but it was, you know, there was a lot of people there for Black Widow. And, uh, you know, I saw, I guess, now I'm very used to what second tier Marvel phase two is. is Phase two is B-movie Marvel, uh, second phase. This is phase four. You actually go, you're going down phase four. So you saw this film, but you did the old $30 premium buy. We paid $30 to watch it on Disney. And you have a big screen thing, so you got to see it projected, right? We got a big screen, we got surround sound, and... Part of it is that my youngest decided she wanted to see it. Okay. And she gets pretty freaked out. She gets scared of live action movies. Okay. Which is why we watched the Luca and Ray and the Last Dragon. So we thought, okay, well, if we take her to the theater, she's probably going to get freaked out and want to leave the theater. So if we watch it at home, it's fine if she freaks out and wants to go in the other room. It's not. Right. You can't, I mean, else. these days, it's like, you know, it costs enough to go to these theaters. You're not walking out of a film. You don't want to deal with it. Exactly. Okay. And the $30 is about what it would have cost us to go to, go to the yes, theater. Yes, it cost me it. more than 30 to see it in the yeah. Street, you know? Um, yeah. So, and as you know, I've been uh, with my eldest on a uh, Marvel binge. Marvel binge. And maybe this will be more helpful because me not being on a Marvel binge in a long time. Now, I've seen everything mind you okay yeah. and i'm watching the loki all right but i'm watching the loki too but like the biggest problem i have with the black widow this is a movie that needed a five minute refresher course as to where the timeline okay. for this movie sat in because it was very confusing to so, me so after the first few minutes my youngest did get freaked out and leave the room she did yeah okay. she comes back 20 minutes later and says what's going on what's happening in the movie and you're like oh dear i don't know and and i and i said Honestly, I can't tell you. I don't understand what's going on. I I can't recount for recount this for you at all because, and so for the first half of the movie, first half hour of the movie, I was like, who, what, how, who's the villain? I just couldn't, and I slowly, and so maybe that's so. It, I don't think the five-minute refresher would have helped. I've watched all those movies recently, and it was still totally confusing to me. I think, from what I've heard, it takes place right after Captain America Civil War. Yes, that's exactly – yeah, my daughter figured that out pretty I quickly. was thinking that it was like before the Civil War – because I haven't seen Civil War in a long time, so I couldn't remember what Black right. Widow was up to. So that, again, it's like weird that they even doing these – films and now they're giving her a one-off but yet she's still dead because she died in the last one and they should have done this several movies ago yeah and and it feels so i uh so i went into this movie prepared to say ah, eh, pretty good i liked it i enjoyed it you know because i don't want to be a marvel party pooper so after it's over you know, I ended up just watching it with my oldest because yeah, yeah, everyone yeah. else skipped down. And so, I, you know, she, 
she said, what did you think? And I said, oh, it was pretty fun. Uh, you know, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, kind of like the positive shrug. Yeah. And uh, you didn't want to you didn't want to change her experience. I didn't want to taint. If she enjoyed it, I exactly. wanted to let her have that experience. Yep. And she said, I don't know. I've got mixed feelings about it. Mm. And she goes, I have very mixed feelings about it. In fact, that is not the Black Widow movie I wanted. And here's what's wrong with it. And she went on this huge list of, and then she was like, here's how they should have done it. And here's what the, <laughs> here's how they, yeah. So she really, uh, she didn't, I haven't talked to her more about it. We just watched it last night, but she really did not like it. And for a lot of different reasons and felt like it was a real disservice to the character. And she had really wanted some specific things out of Black Widow mo movie. And she feels like the character was underwritten and given short shrift in the, in the original Marvel movies and that this didn't deepen or it, it just was not the Black Widow movie she wanted. It, it, it didn't give her what uh she thought the character deserved well yeah because it was weird it's it's called black widow but it really doesn't feel like it's about her well and that was my daughter's point is that she's the less interesting character you know what it's about it's about family it is about family <laughs> it's about family um but the florence Pugh character is more interesting and better developed well don't you see that's the thing is it's the, this is what so this is the, the cynical me it felt like uh you know the producers there kevin fiji whatever um cuz he yeah. he'd already told scarlett johansson that oh when it came to the last avengers movie you're not going to make it right so right. they were already writing they were writing these people out cuz you know again salaries and money and they're like yeah, you know these people absolutely. there and they're aging and stuff so they're doing what the producers were it's like how do we get in a younger scarlett johansson well let's yeah. introduce the world to florence Pugh and make her character pretty awesome and us go Oh, I'd see more of her so that we can then now continue with her in our second tier Marvel experience. And that's kind of what their plan is. And I'm assuming you stayed through the credits for the little scene. Yeah. Which only makes sense if you've watched Falcon and the I've Winter Soldier. I've heard that that her character, not Florence Pugh's, but I've heard that the villainous character is introduced in that. So, yeah, because again, yes. I was like, oh, well, you know. Here's another big problem, right? Again, when we talk about second tier – Let's face it. The whole story that takes place in Black Widow, it feels like, like again, it feels like this extra stuff that Tarantino's put in the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. It's there, but I didn't. I wasn't craving this story. I could care less. It doesn't have any of the stuff I guess that people like in Marvel movies with the supernatural stuff. Right. Well, it also just the villain was not a good villain because all of the awful things he's done, he's done took place before the movie started yeah and yeah so we don't we don't hate him we're just uh, you know it gets to him at the end and i'm like who's this guy it was a pretty terrible villain yeah, yeah. well i felt like this was coasting too it was kind of like yeah we know people need something in marvel and you know this is what we have for you mind you they thought this was supposed to come out last may so it was sort of just filling yeah. the bill until they could get other things going and uh you know my biggest problem with the whole movie is that Things happen to these characters. Like you watch, and everybody, we my my son just sitting there, and like you get at some point, you as an audience member, just because CGI can make something happen. Yeah, the things that these have, it's it's beyond superhuman. What what happened? These aren't yes. super, superhuman people. Like I'm sorry, these aren't bruises that she shows at one point. She has some bruises. These are called broken yeah. limbs or like neck injuries and things. Like yes. nothing happens to these people. 
and I understand that with the dad character because he's some kind of super soldier, Steve Rogers kind of right. Thing. But what about Scarlett Johansson? Yeah, does she have super stuff? I don't know. And then Rachel Weiss is like limping around at the end. She's injured a little uh, bit, a little bit. But yeah, no, it's it's superhuman, and it's the thing that's interesting about Black Widow is that she's not superhuman. Like that's. An interesting thing about the character, she's not like most of the other Avengers. But she has some now pal that's never been introduced ever before who can get her things. The buddy. Yes. Um, yeah, the buddy. I mean, I like, look at Florence Pugh. I'm a fan, right? I mean, I, she was the best part of Little Women. Uh, I loved her in Midsommar. Um, I loved her in The Little Drummer Girl. So, I mean, I like her and she's yeah. good and in And you this. haven't seen Lady Macbeth, I haven't right? seen Lady Macbeth, um, but she's really good in this. And you know what? It, it was funny. I liked when she makes fun of Scarlett Johansson's little uh, – pose with the legs. She's like, yes. you drop and you put your legs out like that. That's and like you ridiculous. do that and flip your hair. Like, why do you do that? And then she actually tries it at one point and yes. then she's like, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I like that. I mean, she was funny. Yeah. She was funny. She was, uh, uh, her whole thing with the vest was funny. It's got lots of pockets, right? Yeah. <laughs> Even though, it, you know what the thing is? It feels like, okay, Marvel needs to make some jokes, but somehow Florence Pugh elevates that stale material. She elevates it, but also like her relationship with the parents was much more interesting. Yeah. The the scene when she's talking to David Harbour uh, when they're in the house, right? Yeah. And that that's an interesting scene, the two of them. But basically the movie, uh, yeah, just uh, I think it's kind of flat. And Yeah. B-movie entertainment has been around since the dawn of film, right? Stuff for kids to just go see, mindless, crappy entertainment. That's not new. So if I look at it in those terms, like, hey, you know, spoon-fed crap to keep the kids excited, that's fine. Except that today, movies cost so much more. Well, and also, I don't know that it even really works on that. It didn't work for my daughter. When you when you look at it, right, and you're like, oh, I paid to see this in the theater or paid the $30. Is it better yeah. than watching 40 minutes of Loki every week? And it's not. And Loki's not not that great. So, you know. No, but it's so much better. Yeah, it's just, that's more of like, that feels more like Marvel than this stuff. This Black Widow did not feel like a Marvel movie. It did, yeah. But like Loki, now you're watching the Loki, right? I am, but no spoilers because I'm not quite caught up. What do you, when you say you're not quite caught up, how many episodes have you watched? Four. Oh, so you haven't seen the fifth episode? I haven't seen the fifth episode. Yeah, yeah. fifth episodes are right. actually there's some funny stuff in the fifth episode, but I mean, it, I thought the first two episodes were gangbusters. Then, yeah. then they did that sort of bottle episode in the middle, and mm-hmm. suddenly Owen Wilson was nowhere to be found, and I was like, oh. Yep. And I don't think it really fully recovered from that. That was with uh, the two Loki's trapped on the yeah. planet. Yep, that was one of those Marvel moments for me where. Uh, I was so distracted by the fact that they had no sets. That's the biggest problem with this Loki. The yeah. stuff, whenever they're not in their like little, the time variant area, yeah. the the stuff wherever they go looks really bad. It looks really And that was so distracting to me in that episode. Yeah. That I hate I, that. I just focused on, yeah, when they're in the time variance place, they have actual sets. Yeah. I don't understand. I mean, the the Mandalorian does it so well. Yeah. But they do it so terribly. 
they do it so terribly. Yeah. It and looks it's, bad. It's an issue for me with these Marvel movies. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I talked about this a few months ago with, with Thor Ragnarok. Yes. I talked about that on the show. Well, how about uh, Black yeah, Widow? The, Did you notice that there? Because I watch it on the big screen, and while I felt like the film had a very flat look, yeah. very digital, very flat, nothing, you know, th that's one thing about Marvel movies. There's never any exciting cinematography that's going to be found. No. But – uh did but I didn't really notice it looking any faker than anything else. So well, no, because a lot of a lot of the movie has sets actually. Well, yeah, I heard they built this like big spaceship out in outer space so that they could film that <laughs> stuff for the red the red rooms hideout. No, that was that whole thing ridiculous. I mean, come on, the fact is that like that none of those people were killed. Um, my daughter was just like, it's so stupid that they have their base floating in the sky. I know. And nobody found it yeah. because it's not on the ground? No. Like, that's insane. No. I, I buy the whole they can't find Wakanda thing, but I can't, but you know. But I couldn't buy this. Yeah, there nope. was no cloaking technology. No. It was just like I'm sure it would have been noticed. Well, this is how scarce we are for movies that we're going to talk about Marvel, which is something that we don't like to do, but. This is where we're at. Well, and that's why we got to it last. We we were avoiding it. We yeah. <laughs> we're not last because I got to talk to you quickly about two other things that I saw combined. On Netflix, they're offering up every week for three weeks these horror films called uh, Fear Street. First is Fear Street 94, then Fear Street 78, and Fear Street 1666. And they are all combined and they're based on these adult books that R.L. Stein did for a more mature audience. Oh, and okay. the 91 sort of is a takeoff on those Scream movies. Kind of, okay. kind of like as a homage to that. And it's pretty terrible. Um, and it's so confusing that you're having a hard time keeping up. The 78 one takes place at a summer camp where they've already told you a big massacre takes place in 1978. Right. Um, and it's all – like they're all tied into this one story about this potential witch and a curse and whatever. And uh, there's two towns. There's uh, Sunnyvale and uh, Shadowville or whatever. I don't know. And right. uh, Who cares? And the yeah. second one is a little bit better. It's got the girl from Stranger Things, the girl with the red hair. Oh, yeah, and I like her. she already looks oh. like she's from the 70s or 80s, so she fits in. Yeah. The casting, the people kind of look like from the 70s, and they definitely do a throwback to more of those, like, Jason-type films. Right. The yeah. problem is, is that just because you have the CGI technology to make things, like, bloodier and gorier, and this thing goes full tilt, it's almost too okay. much. Like, there's no, there's no charm in, like, Tom Savini special effects. It's all, like take an axe and chop someone's face and, and make it all explode like with CGI stuff. And it's like, I don't know. It just, it doesn't, it's just too much. Yeah. And they go away. CGI blood. Yeah. Yeah. There's no cool I, menace. And it's just, it's, it's just done very clunky. Yeah. And I, I've, I've really, I'm kind of on an anti CGI kick right now. I think the fake sets was the sort <laughs> of the breaking for point for me. And, uh, and, and now I just, you know, when I see a movie from the eighties or something, uh, I'm so thrilled that there's real stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing I watched watching these two movies in the theater made me realize I'm like, you know, so far away, like all the good, like dramas and stuff, you just, it's more and more, you're not going to see them in the theater. It's just going to be on your own. Yeah. And, and it's too bad because yeah. there is something very intimate, even though you're with more people in seeing a film on the big screen in a theater, yeah. like those are, I just, I love that feeling and going there this weekend or this, yeah, this Friday, it, it made me kind of sad. 
because I really realized oh. it's kind of over. Like I don't have my local theater yeah. anymore for when I just want to go see some of those dramas and things that come up and I want to see it in the theater and I've chosen it. And I just, I mean, I've been sitting there streaming movies for a whole year plus now. Yeah. So I was excited to get out, but I also realized I'm like, you know, what? I didn't have that good experience and I'm not, certainly not going to run out to this theater again. I might go to the one up north, north Vermont again because I like their right. theaters but better. But also you saw, you saw two blockbuster sequels. Oh, and they were terrible. And, and they were terrible, but that's kind of the future of the theatrical business oh, is yeah. blockbuster sequels. Yeah. And I mean, to pay a hundred dollars for that crap, I mean, it yeah. is really like, uh, and so, you know, the, the, I don't know. I think Disney is, they taken short term gains and it, the future is going to be bad when you start yeah. to destroy that community experience. So, uh, Black Widow made $87 million in the theaters this weekend. And another 60 million on Disney Plus. Right. So they say, you know, so that's, yeah. so that's pretty big. I mean, if it was, if forget, if the pandemic hadn't happened, you certainly could have conceived a thing where their opening weekend for Black Widow could have been 150 million easy. Could yeah. have equaled that, but then they would have also open it in China. They're, this is the problem. They, their censors in China approved Black Widow, but they never released it. And they usually release these films in China first because of all of the piracy. So the problem is, while they still haven't created a, a release date for Black Widow in China, the movie came out in Disney Plus, which made it very easy for 4K copies to exist, and now it's already right. pirated all over the China. So their stupid, hey, let's put it on early 30 is really effing them because they're going to lose potentially two or three hundred million dollars in China. That is fascinating. I didn't so I don't I didn't understand know. why you would do that. I don't know why you wouldn't have released it first over there. Yeah, so I think that could be a problem for Disney if you're going to do things like that. Right. Well, they're going to have – I mean, the fact that they made this much on Black Widow uh, streaming makes me think they're going to keep doing the $30. If I lived in one of those states where most people aren't vaccinated – I mean, I live in the state where it's the highest vaccination rate right. in the country, all right? Uh, but if I was going to go to one of these other states where people don't seem to care about getting a vaccine, I, I might not be ready to jump yeah. into the theater. <laughs> I might be just yeah. waiting. Yeah. And so that's going to be a problem with, you know, theater. So I guess that's where Disney's justified, but I don't think that when, when, when we actually are talking about the pandemic really way behind us and maybe another year or yeah. so, I think Disney's going to continue with this model. I don't think they're going to stop. I think so too. Yes. Yep. Uh, I don't yeah. know why you'd pay $30 just for home. Well, you did, I get, I mean, but I mean, when, if theaters were ready yeah, available, it, I don't, we, we really debated, and um, you know, what it really came down to is that we knew that my youngest was not going to be able to take the whole movie. Yeah. And for me, I mean, again, I just would never pay $30 to see something at home, but, uh, <laughs> but like my little list, if, if we're watching it and at home, he's going to talk through it. He just right. like, he likes to make comments and things or like observations in real time of what's happening, but he tends yeah. to do it while the conversation on screen still going on. He doesn't know how to like, this is not a, this is a yes. dumb moment. We can talk about it. Like he or just, just wait till there's a pause. Yeah. yeah. He has like some sense of humor that like is his own and he's just going off and on and talking about things. Um, which by the way, okay. okay. Last thing, just so you know, I mentioned it at the top of the program and I, when I called you, uh, Barb to my star, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar is now streaming on Hulu for those who didn't oh. get to see it when it was like, you know, a pay-per-view thing. And which, by the way, you then you could you could have rented that for just like 12 bucks or something. It yeah. was no $30. But uh, Hulu, you could watch it. It's very funny. I've rewatched it. I watched it with my littlest because oh. he loves funny songs and stuff. And he thought it was pretty funny. 
Yeah, I I enjoy that movie. I like it a lot. Yep. So uh, again, Barb and Star, and uh, you know we've just talked about a whole bunch of movies, and you know what? There's probably about a thousand others that I've seen in between, but we're not going to talk about those because we've talked for an hour yeah. and a half. Um, <laughs> I know, but that's okay because okay. I have to get my fill of you because this is going to be the last. Because I might, I'm going to be gone for a little while. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and when we say gone for a while, I mean there's a chance. There's a chance we could tape next sure. week. We don't know. There's a chance, but yeah, but it, it, in any event, I'm going to be less around less than usual over the next six weeks. Wow, six weeks. I mean, I, I the way well, I know I know you, and I know you, it's going to take you like five months to get set up over there, and you'll be like, oh, I guess I can tape now. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I'm only going to have so many guests that can fill spots for you, so hopefully right. we'll still have a show for you people, um, but I can't guarantee it. <laughs> okay. Well, and, uh, you know, if we take a few weeks off here and there, this is apparently not a bad movie season to do that in since everything sucks. Yeah, I actually, uh, I mean, I'm not going to see it in the theater, but I did see a trailer for that um, M. Night Shyamalan uh, film, Old. Oh, yeah. And I'm intrigued. I am intrigued, too. All right. So yep. I want to see that. I want to see the new Suicide Squad. I kind of would like to see that in the theater, but it's going to be on HBO for free. Yep. So, yep. you know, so, uh, and I want to see it. It's going to be on Amazon beginning of August. I am absolutely going to see that Val Kilmer documentary. It looks amazing. Oh, I totally want to see oh, that. Oh, it looks so yeah, good. But, yeah. So it looks amazing. Yeah. So there's yeah. going to be some stuff to watch and I will watch it. And then, uh, one of my favorite shows is coming back on in a couple of weeks is, uh, season two of, uh, Jason Sudeikis there, um, when he's the soccer coach on Apple TV. Uh, yeah, I haven't best. seen that show, oh but God. I hear it's good. It, it, you know what? Uh, it's the only show. Is that, it Ted Lasso? Ted Lasso. It it lifts your spirits, man. Yeah, it is really a that. feel good show. And you know what? We need feel good shows. We <laughs> do these days. Yeah. There's not a lot to feel great about, but we're gonna hang in there. All right. All right. Happy trails to you, sir. Yes. All right. And it's showtime, folks. <laughs> It's showtime, folks. Stuffweseen.com, and uh, we got this YouTube. It'll be on our site, and uh, feedback at stuffweseen.com, and then the Instagram, and then there's the Twitter. We're all over the place. You can't miss us. Yeah. Somehow, yep. a lot of people have missed us, but, you know. <laughs> tell your friends, tell your friends who have missed us That's that right. they shouldn't miss us. They shouldn't. It's, it's good quality programming here. <laughs> lots of laughs. Look at that. Humor. Yeah, I'm laughing. All right. We got lots of laughs. Sign okay. off there, buddy. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. Bye. There's no business like show business like no business I know. Everything about it is appealing. Everything the traffic will allow. Nowhere could you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bow. There's no people like show people they smile when they are long yesterday they told you you would not go far that night you open and there you are next day on your dressing room they've hung a star